everyone. I'm Shelly Lyle. And I'm Brian Avery. And welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast brought to you by the Department of Sport Management at the University of Florida. This podcast was created to share the career journeys of sport industry professionals. Our hope is that you learn the ins and outs of different sport industry professions. We're excited to be with all of you this week and with our special guest, Kim Bastable. Kim is the president of Vital Leadership and an adjunct professor and director of professional tennis at University of Florida. Yeah, so Kim received her bachelor's in finance and business administration from the University of Florida, go Gators, and her master's in positive coaching from the University of Missouri. Her work experience includes being an assistant women's tennis coach at the University of Kansas, a head boys and girls tennis coach at Kansas City Christian School, and an elite professional at the U.S. Professional Tennis Association, now for over 22 years. So Kim is currently the president of Vital Leadership, as we discussed, and an adjunct professor and director of professional tennis management for the University of Florida. Thank you for being with us today, Kim. Super happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Definitely. We're looking forward to this conversation. And go Gators, right? Start go Gators. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your career journey and, you know, also explaining what you do now um, at the end, but really want to hear, you've got a lot of, of experience in the, the tennis world. So tell us a little bit about that and how you knew that you wanted to make tennis a career. Absolutely. I, I love tennis and I'm actually kind of fascinated that I am making it a career even in this way at the University of Florida. I never would have seen this part coming. As a junior player, you definitely think you're gonna maybe be involved in tennis and junior tennis all through um, until I played at Florida. And then actually after Florida, um, I did have a great career. I loved my years as a Gator, but I thought I wanna get a life outside of tennis. So I left the university and even though I had a bachelor's in finance, my real love was journalism. So I went to work at the Kansas City Star newspaper and was a sports writer and editor, which was a fabulous way to use my sports knowledge and my journalism interest. Um, interestingly, for those of you who are students, one of the reasons I went that avenue with finance and not journalism is because of tennis at UF. In order to be a great athlete, I really couldn't do the courses in journalism as well, but business I could do and uh, because most of the courses were recorded and you could, if you missed one, you could get one on recording. Now I'm sure they're online or something, but back then we had a media center. So I was able to do my business degree, keep my grades up while being an athlete, which is why I chose business over journalism, except I ultimately love journalism. So there you go, a little small, short side story. But after my stint in journalism, I interviewed a coach at the University of Kansas, a new incoming coach. And that got me thinking, I really want to get back into tennis. I really miss it. So he needed an assistant, and I guess I kind of needed to get back to tennis, which led me back into the coaching world. And from the college ranks, I ended up moving into the club coaching um, type business, which has manifested itself in many different country clubs, racket clubs, high performance, uh, children, adults, all kinds of teaching tennis. But what I found from that was that competition anxiety piece. And I was intrigued by that as well. So that's when I went and got my master's in the sports psychology side of, you know, how to coach somebody through the mental game, which I would say was one of my greatest challenges as an athlete. And that led me to get a master's. And once I had a master's, I could all of a sudden be eligible to teach at the university setting. 
And although I never saw that coming, UF and I matched up again in, in the way of, of me being able to teach in both that psychology piece and now I run the tennis program here at UF. That's great. What um what are the courses? How does that work in the tennis? Like you work with the professional tennis players, and then you also work with students who are interested in getting into tennis. How is that divided? Well, the professional tennis management program at UF is the education of teaching people how to lead in the tennis industry. So really, it molds my business background and leadership background in the world of tennis. So what UF does is we have this master's that teaches people to become a director of racket sports, which means you're the guy that hires all the tennis pros at a club. You probably don't teach that many lessons. You actually run the program. You have to hire, you have to fire, you have to market, you have to build programming, you have to communicate with members, communicate with owners and maybe a, a board of directors if it's at a country club. So I train the directors of racket sports I actually don't coach on court as much anymore. I've left that behind in order to do the academic side of leadership now. So, but I coach coaches. So I'm, I'm, I'm coaching in my athlete-centered coaching class that I teach at Florida, which is unrelated to tennis, is where I actually work with, you know, young adults, high school level, college level, pro, you know, people that are ADs maybe in high school or, um, wanting to become tennis uh, sports leaders and not just in tennis. So I work in now through UF, both the general sport management and then this tennis side. Great. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, you kind of work across the, the board of, of players to people as ADs. And, and, and I'm sure your experience and insight is, is excellent for them to see it from so many different angles, even as the, you know, the industry changes having both the pro, like from a youth, I always think if you've experienced youth and then pro, or you played and pro and college, like all of them give you such different angles to educate on. Yeah, I think that's one of the valuable things I've realized. In my career, I'm very unique in that I didn't spend 25 years maybe running a club as a director of racket sports. Um, I haven't spent 25 years in any one role, but I've spent so many years in so many different roles that I understand a very broad perspective. And then having a business degree and a journalism background and then the coaching and now the leadership and psychology, it, it gives you me so many different angles with which to mold it together, which I think that's what we need to teach the students of today. They really need to have a broader focus. and. It's great if they do choose to go deep, but it's not like they must. So that would be, I guess, something we might talk about later, but that's kind of an advice is, is there's just so much to learn uh, in so many different ways. And then you can bring those worlds together to come to create unique perspectives. Yeah, and to you, what are, what are some of the things you love most about what you do right now? And maybe some of the challenging things. Every day is a challenge because I'm learning so many new things. When you try to understand the university education background, the systems, I mean, I do everything online. So I have to learn everything on Canvas. So I have to communicate without really being with my students, um, trying to communicate through you know, Zoom 
um, recordings and things like that, it, it can be challenging because I just don't get enough contact mm-hmm. with the people that I work with student wise. Um, but, but I, I mean, I, I love doing that. I, that's what I think is the best part is being able to just basically speak into and, and really answer questions just by being a professor and leading a class. I'll have many people just ask me questions that are somewhat related to what we're talking about or, or just related to what you, you're interviewing about, about careers. I just think we need to give back. So I'm glad I'm in a position now to influence the generations coming up and, and just answer questions. I may not have, I, I have my perspective, which may or may not be exactly theirs, but again, learning from us who have been around, I think is the best way Just just be open um, and so I'm, I'm happy to just answer those, those questions of all students. It's a challenge though, every day, just juggling it all. There's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say the thing I've learned having worked in the college arena is that, um, yeah, you're like the things you've had to go through are definitely so helpful. I think of coaching, like, so I worked for Becky Burley, who is a soccer coach. I also played for her, but the things working alongside her, the things that pop up um, relationally, and you would know this from the psychology background, I think that in and of itself are just so helpful for other coaches and people in, in the industry, because there's things you're just not prepared to handle, but people who've gone before you, like people are people, right? So um, I think that's one resource. Gosh, you're such like a wealth of that for, for our students. Well, that's really what drives me. Honestly, when I was, you know, 12, 15, 18, I thought tennis was the be all end all and putting another trophy on my shelf was all that mattered. It's, it's so far from that now that sports is, yeah, you want to drive for trophies because that you're, you're putting yourself out there. But all the life lessons you learn, the discipline, the dealing with relationships, the really becoming good at your own personal self-talk and encouragement, uh, the ability to just navigate the pressure and look at it as uh, an opportunity. Um, pressure shouldn't be so scary. It overwhelms you. It should be a challenge. The person across the net isn't trying to hurt you. They're trying to make you rise to a better level and just being positive. All those things are life skills. And I think I looked at it as my life or like when I decided to quit after I was in college, it was like I was done with sports. I wanted to try something else, not really realizing that everything I learned in sports was actually going to bleed into my life. And that's what I want kids to realize now they're stressed about their sport, but that's, I don't want them to walk from their sport. I don't want them to think that's isolated sport. I, I encourage them on the psychology side, just live it, learn it. It's fine. You're fine. You're, you're not going to get hurt by that tennis ball coming across the net. Just be okay in that uh, challenge and, and be okay in the fact you might lose. Life will go on and, and just stay strong and emotionally and not wilt. And I, I still counsel athletes on you know how to handle the pressure of sport and they have they've lost perspective on the purpose of the pressure of sport and so for me sports is the greatest tool ever for life and that's why i'm fired up about teaching coaches to help kids realize that it really isn't about the trophies on the shelf it really isn't and i know the world says it is but it isn't that perspective is fantastic and it definitely needed uh, in the classroom and beyond, obviously. So, and I, and I can appreciate your frustrations with 
some of the learning environments and how flat they can be these days. But I think when you bring an element of the personal stories, whether you think they're applicable or not, the storyline has weight. It carries and it cuts across. And I, and I think it brings perspective to a student. So they just think, okay, let me think about my situation and how do, how do I relate that? And no, I, I laugh because, you know, I always took losses personally when I was in sports and, 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 and now I, I thrive on, on losing occasionally because I'm like, oh, that was a growth moment. And I, I think we just need to flip the perspective. So I really like the approach you're taking in, in that regard. So but speaking in that vein, you know, you've got quite a background. I mean, 22 years as a pro in, in regards to that, plus your experience in the classroom now and, you know, taking on challenges, associations and everything in between. How do you feel over that period? And I think I have a glimpse of what you were alluding to a moment ago, but from a leadership perspective, how have you grown in that that realm? And as an innovator, as a person, how, how do you, is there a, a, a way that you could measure that in some capacity? I can, and I would say it comes down to the simple answer of loving the process versus the outcome. Yeah. Because I couldn't wait to get off the court and put a W next to my name because that's what mattered. It wasn't the matter. The struggle in the middle was almost like torture to get through so that I could get off and say, yeah, I won two and two, you know, which was the first question somebody wants to know when you walk off the court. And, and I had no joy in the moment at, at some levels, probably did when I was 12 or 14. But by the time I was 20, it was all about finishing. And actually, I was within my master's degree, um, which was later on, that I realized I just need to enjoy learning. Hmm. I will get this degree at some point. But right now, it's not about the get the degree. It's about this struggle which at that point is struggling with time management when you have a family and a job and, you know, it's not like that's all you do. So it, it was, I'd stayed up a lot of late nights and um, missed some activities as I was doing that, but I did it because I enjoyed the learning and the, the struggle. And then I remember I had a class that was a group project. I was like, I don't want a group project because I got to deal with those people. But then I realized that was so interesting. Because I watched how they went through the homework and did the assignments. And I was like, that's not a perspective I would have taken. I, I, I would not have chosen that, which you could look at it as frustration that I would not have chosen that. Or you could look at it as, wow, that's an interesting perspective. And I still wouldn't have chosen it, but I value that they did. And now I can understand it. It comes differently from other two other people. Right. But it was such a growth. I really thought actually that group project class was of value and what was interesting in my teachings at athlete-centered coaching and leadership last spring one of the feedbacks was the kids wanted more group work which i looked at laughed and thought last thing i wanted when i was in my master's but i thought during covid they probably did they probably wanted more reasons to get somehow connected to somebody so anyway i just think it's the process loving every day whatever you're doing for that process and ultimately, yeah, you'll have something to show for it, whether it's an A on a paper or a trophy on your shelf or a C on a paper and a second place trophy or a first first round loss, something in there, it'll all grow you. And I just really appreciate that now. And I didn't when I was in my college for a long time. No, no, it's a, it's a great perspective. I, 
it's funny that must be a monumental shift in thinking because group projects have always been the bane of students existence it seems what i've always garnered from though it's it's how we work you got to learn to work with others even though you might not appreciate their methods and there's always going to be someone who doesn't do enough right or doesn't respond to an email or something but you got to overcome that and, and and i think that's very important life lesson in uh, before you leave school. So there's value in that. But uh, if they're wanting more of them, I'm going to give them more of them. No, so. <laughs> but aside from that, uh, and I can kind of sense maybe where you might go with this question, but if you would, as a student, if you will, had learned one thing or knew something before you began your career, what would you have wished that to have been? You know, I think I would say climbing the ladder of success is not linear. It's more like a climbing wall wow. where you go this way and even down in order to go up over there. Mm. And I just felt like everybody says I have to get to the next level, the next level, the next level. And I can't take a step back or down. That's yeah. forbidden and failure. Mm. And, and when I realized it was more like a climbing wall, I was like, yeah, I can get to the top. I, I, it just might not. And, and, and frankly, that would tell you not everybody's track will be the same. Yeah. And that's another great lesson. That, that's a, a fantastic perspective and analogy, if you will, because I know in my career, I have fallen completely off the wall. <laughs> so, Smack the ground very hard. And I'm like, hmm, that didn't work out. Where am I going next type deal? So, but yeah, no, I, I, I will definitely use that's a great visual. Uh, in fact, yeah. so I really appreciate that insight. I think it's so applicable to, I mean, every career, but really in sports. I mean, it's the same thing as you get a loss, but that doesn't mean you quit playing, that you can't move past it. And and so for those in the industry, like, yeah, I mean, think about the past year with COVID, how many people got laid off in the sports industry um, or furloughed. I mean, those things are not the norm, but you have to learn to, um, you know, keep keep engaging and go, okay, that wasn't that maybe I did take a few steps down the wall and I got to climb back up, but you know, a lot of people around me did too. And, and, um, we're all collectively in a different world <laughs> post. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about our attitude and, you know, the old saying responsibility, it's our ability to respond and, and we have to manage it. And I think everybody, I know for me, I mean, I was a little like last March, I was like, are we, is this really happening? You know, I'm, I, I was a bit thrown. And then you realize that, that, yeah, it's happening and it's happening to everybody. And it, it's just that we can't control it, which is why we got so stressed about it. We, we didn't have any control. So it's like, grab what you can control. I think that's when a lot of people signed up to go back to college and do the things they could control that would be of benefit. And, you know, I mean, I've been communicating with my grandchildren by reading books over Zoom. And, you know, it was actually, I probably regularly spoke to my kids in faraway cities and even countries by that on a regular basis. And it was really, in some ways, our, my young grandchildren know my face better than they might have done if I had lived life and I'd been in a busy way. So we all have to just look at what we can do with what we've been given and then try to be creative and innovative. And I think that's where we all are today. What's the new normal and how does this look now how do we make a career move and i know in the world of tennis life has changed a lot so i'm sure that's similar in others some industries are down and others are up and now we have to all realign yeah 
Yeah. And so what are, as you progress from, you know, the coaching world into what you're doing now, what are some resources you've really used to help, um, help you along the way? And I use that kind of broadly. So if it's people or if it's um, educational opportunities, you know, what did that look for you, look like for you? Maybe create two different pockets of those. Yeah, I think, um, well, I came through as a coach thinking that I was coaching forehands and backhands and helping people love the game of tennis the way I loved it. But I soon found that it's really less about the forehands and backhands. It's more about social connectivity, more about the health of the sport and how people can maintain their own health, physical and mental health by playing it. And so that's when I got really excited about my master's ideas, getting through dealing with the, the psychology side of it, because I felt so many kids are dropping out of sports because they can't handle the stress and they didn't really understand what to do. And frankly, the parents don't know either. I've had plenty of adults that don't really know how to, they compete in tennis or otherwise, and they don't know how to handle the stress or, or maybe it's even business, but uh, their kids certainly didn't know how to manage it because the world's expectations are it's all about winning and if you don't win then you're a failure and so we really had to teach that so i got excited about that because helping people again learn to use sport as a tool the process of sport and not just the victories and the titles next to your name once you're finished so that's one thing is i i really got inspired about my masters and the reasons for my masters which is why i kind of persevered through it even though it got inconvenient as most degrees do. Um, and then another thing I, I really got inspired was a book by Jim Lair called The Only Way to Win, which really defined this particular phenomenon. And he is a sports psychologist that started as, was a, a USPTA tennis pro and then got in the world of, did more psychology. But that particular book is written for business leaders. And it's written about this idea of the ego identity. We get so, identified with our successes. And that's what happens to many, many businessmen. And they lose track of their life outside of their work and they become workaholics and, it's, and they neglect families. And, and that's what we do as athletes too, but it's not okay when it's your life for 40 years. Generally athletics is probably for 10 or 20 years at the most. And you know, you're a teenager and you're probably single-minded at that point anyway. But when you're 45 and all you care about is your accolades and you have a family at home, that's not a win. So the only way to win is a fa fabulous book. And I just think it really inspired because it identified kind of what, what I was doing as a, as a youth and then how it can translate hazardously into an adult life. So those are really the, the resources that I found to be really helpful to inspire me to just have a change of perspective. Um, and then that got me, you know, again, the master's got me just wanting to share with others, which is what helped me come back to the University of Florida and say, could I teach a class? And fortunately, I found a door and got, got allowed to do that, which is really fun, really exciting for me. Well, we're glad that you're a part um, as well. So what and who are some people um, who have been really influential for you um, throughout your career trajectory and, and how have they influenced you to continue to do what you've been doing? You know, my, my husband is super interesting because he looks at things. He's very much like me. He was a collegiate athlete, a professional and minor league baseball player. And so he's driven in the athletics like I am. 
but he has a whole different perspective um, on terms of just, he's not the perfectionist I am. And he just, he says, you know, set yourself a deadline and then just figure out how to get there. That's as far away from me as I'd be like, it has to be perfect before that deadline gets set is the way I look at it. So he had all these ideas about ways that I could have, you know, do things. And I was just like saying, hold on. That's, but I got sort of drank his Kool-Aid and, and he got me inspired to try some things and to step out and to stop being obsessed about having things perfect before I got there. And I felt that was, that was really a perspective that I, I needed to do. And then I, I would tell you another one is, you know, good old Florida quarterback, Tim Tebow. And I think Tim was the one that really inspired me. I'm in my, you know, twenties. I don't know how old I was, thirties. I don't know when Tim's at Florida and He's combining his faith piece with his athletics. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a faithful person. I believe, you know, we want to be kind to others. And usually on the tennis court, I really wanted to hurt that person. I really wanted to win against that person. I wasn't going to be kind to them. And here's Tim playing a contact sport like football. And he's trying to combine that, you know, you can love your opponent and and now I get it. Through his example, I sort of woke up to the idea that those two things aren't unrelated. We can really enjoy our opponent and they can actually make us better. And one of the things I learned in, in my classes is the origin of the word competition comes from the word competeer, which is to strive with. Mm -hmm. So it's like we need them to make us better. We want to be the best. We need that guy over there or that team over there. And we want them to play their very best because that makes us better. Back when I was younger, I did not want them to play well. It was not in my playbook. And now I really have a different value for that joint competition. And we both have fun trying to reach the best. And it just feels joyful to be in a competition versus vengeful and negative. So, yeah, I would say those are two people that inspired me and in those ways. Yeah, I love the um, perspective change that you had. Because honestly, and we're not really taught that growing up. Like, you're not told to cheer for your teammates or to cheer for your opponents or be glad that they're really good. Like, you're just not, I mean, this is generalizing, I suppose, but, you know, you're just there to compete and win, like you said. Um, and I think especially as college athletes, too, it gets it gets challenging when you're competing for positions with your own teammates and then you you're cheering them on and the complexity is there. So I, I just really, I, I, I love that. I wish we could educate more on from a younger age of how the benefit of competing, um, you know, with each other and, and pushing ourselves so that it's not always for the win or it's not always that you're always not looking at other people negatively. You actually, right. there's, there's a, there's a guy, Joe Ehrman, who was an NFL player who wrote, he has a, book called Inside Out Coaching. And he talks about the same concept. And I think when you hear it in football is when you can really buy it because hearing it in tennis, it's not quite the <laughs> conflict sport, you know, but in football, if you can really own it, then that's, uh, that's good. And he, he talks, he's very interested in coaching now. So that's another inspiring um, source. Yeah, it, it's really good. I'm actually inspired uh, potentially to see uh, Tim Tebow playing again uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars this upcoming season. So it, it's good to have that kind of uh, 
you know, individual to look up to in, in this realm and, and, and see it from a different perspective, even if you don't agree with it necessarily, but to appreciate how did he arrive at that place and how does he do what he does and, you know, uh, thrive in that environment, which is sometimes hostile. So I think there's some balance in, in, in that regard. So, well, well, I agree. And I mean, it is faith or unfaith, whether you have the faith or not, is, is sort of it's just the idea of being kind and respectful. Yeah versus wanting to cut the legs out from under them and, and break them, you know, right. and, you know, or cheat to win. And I'm like, yeah. just the idea of being kind and respectful is unique in sport, but it really is what sport, I think what they meant back in the Olympic days when they started it yeah. Yeah. and we've gone off track. We've gone off the rails a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but conversations like this will obviously help us uh, bring us back to center. At least that would be the uh, the goal. So, and speaking of which, because, you know, the students that are listening to this that might be considering a career in tennis or a sport association closely aligned with tennis. And, and I know you talked about, you know, the climbing wall analogy and, and basically saying, hey, it's not going to be pretty, it, you know, could take you in another direction completely. But is there a general pathway that a student could follow to be a coach or wind up in a role like yours in some capacity? Is that a possibility or is it kind of a little bit of luck, a little bit of, you know, position? No, no. no? For sure. There's a, there's a definite path. Like if you come through as a player, um, there are two associations that certify tennis professionals in the United States. One's called PTR and one's called USPTA. Um, if someone decides that they want to, and I think many should, because just as an aside, mm -hmm. there are 22% more tennis players now in the United States than there were in the end of 2019. So we have added a ton of players in the U.S. because of COVID. It's 78 yeah. feet apart of safety, and it's a, it's a great place to be career-wise. But anybody who has an interest in tennis, there are needs there are needs in the industry from whether you're a great player, you know, to maybe not as great, but you're just avid. And by getting certified, meaning going through the education of how to teach the game, because we know there's a lot of difference between playing a game and coaching and teaching the game, you can get that through either of these organizations. And once you get that, you really, I mean, there's books and books and classes and uh, there's so much education on how to deliver the sport in such a way that the people over there are intrigued and not bored and they're inspired and help them learn. Because it used to be that you'd line kids up and you'd feed them one ball and they'd go to the end of the line and wait six kids before they got in line. And I think we're going to lose a lot doing that. That's the old style, not the new. But we need to learn those group training tactics. And that's what the organizations do. So those two organizations have incredible education. And then experience in the industry, which will start out at any, could be rec club, could be park and rec, could be a country club, but there are tons of jobs available in that area if you want to keep you know, learning and developing. Once you've been in the industry three plus years, you're eligible to do a course like I teach this director of racket sports education, which is around the business mm -hmm. of running a program. So once you know the on-court, how to lead uh, group lessons, private lessons. If you want to move up, then you would do this new education, which has not been in existence. In the past, there's been this uh, apprentice mentality. You just had to do your time and you had to work at a club and you had to be around a head pro and be around a director and just learn through osmosis. 
And eventually you got to a point where maybe some other club would be willing to take a chance on you as their leader. But now UF is starting this new program that provides a accreditation as a director of racket sports so that any anybody hiring can look at you and know that you have both the on court and now you have the business knowledge to be a great leader. So the pathway is actually in tennis, very clear through uh, the organizations that are in tennis. What we need is for avid athletes, tennis players, to want to be a teaching pro and move on and be a director of racket sports. What most athletes, I don't know why, but they tend to not consider a career in tennis as like their first choice. It's almost like their backup plan. Hmm. But a career in tennis, there's a tons of opportunities. It's very uh, lucrative. You can, in an initial first year job for an assistant could be anywhere from forty to sixty thousand dollars a year, and then okay. a director of racket sports can make well over six figures. Um, it, it's a very lucrative job. You do have to work some nights and weekends because you tend to work when other people play, but you're also outdoors and. A lot of careers require a lot of work. I, I right. talked to one guy who was a, a lawyer, had gone through law school, left tennis, gone through law school, worked at a law firm for a couple of years and realized, hey, I'm sitting in this office working 60 or 70 hours a week. Uh, I'd really rather be back in tennis. So he got back in tennis. He said, I still work 60 or 70 hours a week, but I'm doing it outside and it's a lot more fun. And it just feels like it's a lot more flexible than slaving away in a law office. Right. So it's a unique, but I think wonderful career where you can really enhance people's lives in meaningful ways. You, have you been able to put a pulse on what the resistance might be from, uh, you know, athletes that have played in, in tennis for 10, 15 years to becoming a coach or a director of a club or something like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually stopped two high school kids who were playing tennis on the court next to me last spring and asked them, have you ever considered a career in tennis? And the answer was no. Um, the answers, I asked why, and the answers varied from, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a lawyer or an engineer. You know, they had these bigger, grander plans in their mind. Uh, they were shocked when I told them they could make six figures down the road, they never thought about it. Yeah. And it was like, an image that they thought, well, it's not good. Enough. My mom doesn't want me to be a tennis pro. Like there's just not a real reputation of, of respect for that. Um, a coach doesn't feel like a meaningful job, which again, I think that's a perspective piece. If they think about it, it's all about sports and all you're doing is helping somebody hit a forehand. Okay. Maybe that's not that good. But if you're helping somebody live a healthy, meaningful life mm. and read, Tennis has been shown to be uh, one, the racket sports in general are have increased longevity. Like you'll live longer if you play a sport like tennis. So there's so many valuables. And then the social connectivity that tennis provides, the movement on all planes of your body, as opposed to say just running or walking, you know, when you have to twist and turn and bend from a physical perspective, it's great for people, but there are a lot of health benefits to it. Um, it really Honestly, at some point, I probably can't improve your forehand a lot. So it's not really about that. It's really about your lifestyle and activity. So it's a valuable career path, but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. 
Yeah, it's uh, interesting because my daughter, who recently got into tennis, her coach has told the team on several occasions that it was less about winning, which I appreciated, and more about falling in love with the sport because it's a life sport. It wasn't just something you can do in high school and end of game, you know, kind of thing. It was like you this will carry with you uh, for your entire life. So it's just, I find it odd, though, that someone would see it as uh, not a clear pathway to, to make a living uh, in regards to it as a result. So we got to overcome that barrier somehow, I'm, I'm sensing. I think it's possible, but maybe it's just kind of a shift in the dialogue about what. Well, I also think that it's only been not that recently that you could get a college degree in something related to tennis. There are some what they call professional tennis management programs that have been out there for the undergraduate level in um, a couple different colleges in the U.S. UF doesn't have one, but they have them in North Carolina and Michigan and where you could get, say, a, a business degree, but then you get a minor in professional tennis management where you learn how to coach tennis and you even learn how to play and you come out as a certified tennis professional um, or you might get it, it might even be a minor a, a bachelor's in, in science or some other field but it's a minor program but there are a couple of those but obviously us having a master's degree program showing the business side it's like what we teach is the MBA of tennis yeah and we're the only one in the country that has it there may be some other schools that eventually have it, but the USTA came to UF since the USTA is based in Orlando. Mm -hmm. They came to UF and, and, and knew that our, we had the reputation in sport management and in tennis, frankly, frankly, and they asked us to do it. So we're excited to be the first one. And this will really, I think, change some of the reputation. Okay. Obviously, to do a master's, you have to have a bachelor's, but we have spun off our tennis classes as a certificate program. So it's a continuing education option for people who either don't have a bachelor's or don't want a full master's. They still can get the knowledge and education around running tennis businesses, which I think is very exciting for the industry. No, no, I'm, I'm thrilled uh, to have that as an option for the students, obviously, and to promote this uh, in, in a variety of capacities. But in, in speaking in that same line, if you will, because we've talked a little bit about how the industry's changed and how athletes have changed. So what do you foresee the future of the industry to, to look like? I know you said there's 22% growth in the United States with respect to play, but, you know, is that sustainable? Where we go from here, you know, specifically for the college athlete, if you will, if we back up for a second and talk about how is name image likeness going to impact them? I mean, there's a lot of change potentially on the horizon. What are your thoughts in that regard? Yeah, I think that's the answer to your question. In five years, if we haven't managed this influx of players, tennis is going to look pretty bad um, because we've been really lucky to get it. And I do think there's a lot of responsibility for the world of tennis careers to manage and help these people. However, most of them are joining the game in public parks and in environments that are not related to clubs. So it's going to be hard for the organized not all public parks have organized programs there might be just two courts down there and two courts down there with no teaching program associated with them so we as people in the industry are going to have to find those people or be loud enough about how you can connect because at some point just going out and play with your family or your friends won't be that exciting and you need a chance to get a little better you need a chance to connect with others or at your level 
And that's what our job as industry leaders is. But I think it's connecting those people with those, you know, to get that uh, knowledge passed on. And that will be the challenge. Um, but there are multiple racket sports out there, too. It's not just all about tennis. Many in the world have now heard of pickleball, which interestingly was invented in 1965. So the fact that it's become so hot in the last five years is not really explainable. I'm not sure what they did. Um, but there are other sports, too, that are very related, played on tennis courts, played other sports, played on pickleball courts. Um, there, There's a couple played inside of – there's one called played inside a plexiglass box called Padel, played inside like kind of a chicken wire, which is more in the northeast, called platform or paddle tennis. But – there are multiple ways to play with racket sports and clubs have them. And so we claim all of that in the world of racket sports and we need to keep people involved somewhere at some level, but that's going to be a, a challenge. But people coming out have of college with playing ability have an instant track to get in to any of these programs. I mean, but they do need to get certified as a teaching pro because they don't necessarily know how to relate to all the varying levels of players. If you're a high-level player and you've just gone up as a high-level player, there's a good chance you don't know how to deal with a five-year-old that's just starting to play or a beginner lady or male who's just starting to play. You're not really sure how to help them. You think you do, but if you give them your grip that you're using and the swing that you use, it's pretty much a guarantee they will not know how to hit the ball. Right. So the game is so different to a beginner than it is to a high-level. So you really need, do need to get educated in how to teach, but the means are out there through the USTA, through the USPTA, uh, through the PTR. And then I think the market is out there. Literally, we might be going down to public parks and finding people that are hitting balls on the court and say, are you aware of this club or this program or the USTA needs to connect? It's going to be, I hope the USTA is going to do a really good job of finding those people and connecting them. But that's our challenge as an industry. Okay, fair. As well, I unfortunately didn't uh, grow up learning it, but have kind of picked up in after college. So yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's, it's really popular in Gainesville. Um, from what I've heard, we've even hosted a tournament. I think my friend entered a tournament last weekend. It's definitely um, very, very common around here. Um, so going back a little bit to your experience in different industries. What was it like for you transitioning from maybe playing to coaching, um, getting more education and then, and then heading into, to now teaching, um, what, you know, we're going to have students who in our online program who are a little older, who are transitioning. We have someone working right now, um, for one of the pro teams and we'll be trying to, you know, get into being a professor, uh, as well. So for someone like that, what are, what are some suggestions you have for them, um, in the transition period? Well, I think that, it is harder once you've been um, more successful, a little bit older, because you kind of start to feel like you know the answers or you understand things in those areas and you're more of an expert. And you start to feel a little bit less like, I know what I'm doing. You have to have the ability to be okay with that, with asking questions versus answering questions. I think this be able to figure things out, um, but then ask questions. So I know that as I've transitioned, my first inclination when I don't know something is to, who, who can answer that question? But if I think about it a little longer, I kind of can figure parts of it out or 
maybe I'll do a little more research. And then I ask a question eventually, but it's a better question. And so I don't just immediately just ask, ask, ask. I, I figure that slow down a little bit and say, who, who would help? Wait, if I ask that, or how would I ask that? I'll even start to type the email and then think, wait, I should do more research before I actually ask that question. And then maybe I don't even need to ask it after all. And it, it's, it's just that uncertainty and everything takes longer than it used to take me. And I tend to do things fast and like to do things fast. And I have 16 balls in the air and I can't quite do that. And I end up getting off on rabbit trails when I start to learn something new about something and realize, oh, wait, I didn't really need to do that right now. But it was interesting. And I was learning something new in this area that I need. But I need to get back on track to, to what is does have a deadline. And then just not getting discouraged. I, I just think it's it's hard. Again, like I said, when you know something, I could go back right now and teach tennis and make a very good living. I've done that for a long time. I could do it. In fact, there's some part of me that says, you know, I offer a lot in that area, but I also know that when I get up in the morning, the thought of spending eight hours a day on the tennis court doesn't really jazz me like eight hours a day working on curriculum and building lectures and interacting with students at UF. So even though I could do that and I could probably do that well by a lot of people's standards, I don't think, I know that that's just not really going to make me have high well-being and joy and just, I, I just need to go to this difficult place because it's deeper meaning for me right now. Not that my years as a tennis pro are devalued, that worked for me then, but right now it doesn't. And so choosing the hard path lets me stumble around and I'm okay with that. And then the other thing is I'd say energy is always renewable. There's plenty of times when you think that I'm just overwhelmed and I can't do it or I, I, I do too many things going on. And if you just take that time off, whether it's you know time with your family or go for a run or just really get away from it. I let myself just, you know, take a half a day off when I probably should be working to say, I just needed to get my brain kind of realigned. And that, I learned that when I read a, the guy named the, um, that runs the energy project, a guy named Tony Schwartz, who actually has worked a lot with Jim Lair, who was the only way to win guy, you know, has done the research around, if you can take some time off and renew your energy then the work you'll do in the future after that, you'll do it much faster and more efficiently. If you just would have stayed there, head down for those eight hours, it might have been a slog. But if you take those two, three hours off, then you spend the next five. Those five, you can knock out what you would have done in eight. And you'll feel a whole lot better doing it. So I've learned that, and it's been helpful to me. Yeah, that's that's excellent, I think, advice for our students. And because I think sometimes you do get in the rat race, and you're like, oh, but if I'm not, I was actually having um, a conversation with a student right before we, we started on the pressure to like just keep making the phone calls or doing it, and you're behind and everyone else is ahead. And just that whole mentality that our culture kind of has created, um, you know, so it feels you almost feel guilty for taking any, any time off because, well, then somebody else is getting ahead of me or the opportunities missed, things like that. So that's really great to hear, um, you know, for our students and then for those in the industry already who are kind of going back to school and like, oh, yeah, I can, I relate to that. I felt that before, you know, so that's, that's awesome. And, and I think I loved your insight too on the idea of, you know, being, 
going from being on a court or maybe on a field for those who want to coach to being in a classroom or creating curriculum. Um, it's always a give and take, you know, having worked with the soccer program, I felt that too, you know, you're not with the team anymore. You're more in an office, but you're also creating things that have opportunities to expand and, and more opportunities could come. And so I think it's just, you know, having been an athlete, uh, I, I relate with you on that, like, okay, there's days I miss the, the field and the team, but then there's also really great benefits to the other side as well. Well, let me offer something too, which I, I learned. I don't know if you experienced this, but I learned that um, the one of the things that sports teaches you is instant feedback. You you know if you won or you lost, and you, you kind of have a sort of an identity with how you play, even playing well versus not playing well. There's just this feeling of I either accomplished or I didn't, or you know, I felt good after that. When you work with like a student, like you might have a conversation with a student you're not fully sure what they got out of it. Like you just spent 20 minutes talking to them and they leave and you're left with, was it good? Did they, did they, did they get anything out of what I said and offered? And, and you're like, "Eh." but you just have to go from a place of do your best, just impart what you can. And, you know, and Brian's not to say, I'm like, you might find out in two months that what you said was like the answer they needed to hear. They didn't tell you in the moment, but that was the words they needed to hear. And they went off and did something. And I just think that was a hard thing being an athlete to realize that about life and interaction and work. It's the long game. And when you get into the other side of the fence and sometimes you never know. Yeah, you just pray and hope that uh, my advice and wisdom experience that I'm bringing to the table will benefit them in some way. Uh, there are those, though, that they give you feedback and they'll, they'll tell you six months later, a year later, 10 years later, like you have no idea how much this influenced my life. You're like, oh, those are the moments you live for. And you, those are the ones you pull. Yeah, you got the emails in your uh, file cabinet to pull out and read on your bad days. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, now, speaking of that, from a student perspective, is there a way that they can connect with you online if they wanted to have a conversation with you about, you know, your program, your experience, things like that uh, moving forward? No, absolutely. I mean, I'm happy to chat with anyone. Yeah, I go by my name, Kim Bastable at ufl.edu for email. Perfect. Um, That's probably the easiest way because, yeah, I think that's what we want to do is just to be able to help. And for me, being one of the only professors that's really in the world of tennis, yeah. To be able to explain the opportunities as a career, it's easier to hear it from someone than to try to read about it. It's almost like, I, what what are you teaching and how are you teaching it and who are you teaching it to? And it's confusing. So, yeah, yeah. I'd love to share about it. And Good. then the coaches in general, with the athlete-centered coaching and the psychology side, Yeah, that's super interesting. I love to help people decide they want to be, you know, athlete-centered coaches and and really inspire people versus – you know, just, just coach. As I say, just coaching a sport. It's not about that. It's far just, more. Just coach. Yeah. I would say there's way more than just coach. That's probably the the least significant portion of it these day and age, this day and age. So uh, now with that said, this question kind of stumps some people from time to time. So if, if you were a student, right. And you know, if you had the opportunity as a UFSPM student or the community as a whole, what question would you have asked yourself that we did not ask you today that would benefit that student? 
Wow. I know it's loaded. (laughs) What question would I have asked myself? It's why do you think like that? I mean, (laughs) literally, I think that we, um, I don't know if this is where you're going, but this is what comes to mind as you're thinking about this is this that I think every single one of us is super hard on ourselves. And I think I was super hard and limiting on what I could do. You know, I'm not, I think we all say to ourselves, you know, I'm only qualified to do this, or that's the only job I can do, or, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough for that, you know, type of mentality. And I would say, you know, why do you limit yourself? You know, I don't think other people limit ourselves as much as we limit ourselves. Yeah. And other people read our bio and they go, wow. And we look at our own bio and we go, that's not enough. Uh, and yes. then, and it happens and I see it in all kinds of ages and continually. Yeah. I have a son-in-law who graduated with his master's from London School of Business. And I am super impressed with him. Yeah. And I feel like he's thinking, well, yeah, but I haven't done anything with it yet. And I'm thinking, well, that was a year ago in COVID. You know, I feel like there's just, so much like give yourself a huge hand for that anybody who graduates from uf and is in our programs there's so much there to be proud of don't limit yourself and um just look for opportunities and don't feel like yeah you have to know everything just be willing to get out and learn almost anybody in in our shoes you know you guys and myself we just want people that ask questions and care about learning that's the most important thing if if someone's interested to learn, we're excited to teach them. No, I I know it's a stumper, but you couldn't have responded to that any better. It, it's funny because I had this very conversation with my wife last night. I said, I am putting more roadblocks in front of my own feet than anyone else around me. And it's frustrating and almost depressing at some capacity because you're like, I did all this, but it's never enough. And I wish people could just take a step back and, and just appreciate what you've done and and how you've gotten there and what you did with it. And I think people need to more take more time to reflect. So I I love your message. That's perfect. So winner right now. (laughs) Now on voices from the field, aside from, you know, some of these lines of questioning that are are very professionally oriented and, or, you know, student focused, we like to have a little fun and we've got this rapid fire Q and a that we do not complicated. It's chock full of lighthearted questions. Uh, so I'll let Shelly take the, the, the run on our lead on this one. Sure. So Kim, what's going to happen is I set a timer and then, um, we just go through some questions. I'll throw them at you, whatever comes to mind and we'll see how many you get through in one minute. So are you, and if you want to pass on any, you're welcome to do that too. So are you ready? Ready. Okay. Okay. First job. Um, at a bank and it was seven months and it was horrible. <laughs> What's the worst haircut you've ever had? Uh, uh, a mullet. Ooh. Favorite time of day? Um, I'm a night owl. Okay. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ironically, I wrote a paper in like sixth or seventh grade about wanting to be a tennis pro. So there you go. Nice. Name two daily habits. Uh, working out, um, probably working too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Netflix, Prime Video, or Cable? Netflix. 
And if I looked up your most played songs, what song or artist would I see? Michael Bublé. Mm. Okay. All right. That's that must say something about my age, I'm sure. <laughs> no. I think no. Michael Bublé's made a comeback. He's got those commercials and things like that for that, that <laughs> drink. So. <laughs> yeah. People know, right? No, anyways. So. Uh, this has been fantastic, Kim. I really appreciate you joining us today uh, and taking your time to share your professional endeavors. I, I know that the University of Florida Department of Sport Management students, the faculty, our alumni appreciate your, your thoughts. They're very meaningful and purposeful, and I know very helpful uh, at the end of the day. So thank you. Uh, so please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Everything USPM. We are your host, Brian Avery. And Shelly Lyle. And go Gators, right? Go Gators. We there we go. Gators there we go.